0: Number three out of bounds. William Plaginbush and Mike Vaughn. Today, my lunch was uh, spicy chicken nuggets and a medium fry from Wendy's, and delightful. Now, I will say we've got a little bit shorter a uh, commercial break for uh, back of the house reasons today. A little bit shorter commercial breaks, and so I'm still eating this lunch. Um, it it came to me, uh, it came to me during one of the segments, and I'm I'm still sort of nibbling on it uh it's it's very good uh but we have we have passed the point of lunch now and we're on to frosty time vanilla frosty's back, people get great rewards great deals biggie bags and the rest in the Wendy's app go and frequent one of the upstate wendy's locations you'll be glad you did that uh six five four roar is the number uh Texter says this. From the 864. This might be true. I think he just tried to give a long explanation saying some people are better at using analytics than others. Well, that's true about anything. and usually separates top performers from very low performers. Not the only factor, but generally has the most impact on performance. Here's what I mean. I think people blame analytics like everybody's just walking around reading spreadsheets and doing stuff. And when, when analytics are broken, like the Big 12 did with Ken Palm or whatever efficiency metrics the net is using... It's sad because people blame analytics. And when Dan Campbell goes for it on some fourth downs and it doesn't work, and you thought he might maybe should have kicked the field goal, rather than just blaming Dan Campbell, you blame analytics. It's some third party's fault. But that's not, that's not really what it is. That, that, that's just a, that's a misunderstanding of it. And then Texas says this, and we'll go to T.O. Texas says whether Campbell's an analytics guy or not, analytics still favored his decision to go for it by a very small margin. I'm all for it, but it's just not going to work every single time. I would argue a field goal is the same. Field goals don't work every single time. It's not guaranteed. It doesn't take psychological momentum into account. So when it doesn't work and you lose that momentum, it looks really bad. Here's the other thing. And again, I'll, I'll say this quickly. The analytics movement has done a disservice when ESPN tells you what you should do. Oh, ESPN said go for it. Well, like I say, then you go for it and it feels like Dan Campbell just did what ESPN told him to do. When in reality, he is looking at his team. He is looking at his situation. Good coaches do that. It's kind of like nobody calls this analytics, but whether you should foul up three or whether you should let the game play out is situational based on your team and the other team and time on the clock and score and place and all kinds of factors. But there are people that tell you there is a right answer to that. And I just disagree. I disagree. So it's a weird argument. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to explain to people, but I just—I it makes me sad when analytics taking a beating when really it's just people making decisions, just people making choices. Uh, Terrence Oglesby joins us. Our very good friend, uh, Field of 68. You can see him calling a Mountain West game near you. Big Mountain West guy, T.O. What's up, buddy? Good to hear from you.
1: Yeah, we're, weirdly enough, uh, a huge Big East guy, an even bigger Mountain West guy now. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be. Uh, The ACC doesn't want me, but that all being said, I'm still going to bat for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A selfless act indeed. Let's talk about the league that definitely doesn't want you. Fran Fraschilla is all on your case about the Big 12. I just talked a little bit about the Big 12. Give us your synopsis of what is going on with the Big 12 and why it's particularly harmful to leagues like the ACC.
1: Well, let me say this. Me and Fran get along terrific, so he's one of my good friends. He, I think he does a terrific job, and obviously he's a Big 12 guy, so those things are going to stack on top of each other. So he's going to go to bat for that league, and I'm going to go to bat for the ACC. It only makes sense. Now, that all being said, I, I think the Big 12 is a terrific basketball league. Where I get confused is, is the fact that they're being rewarded for playing terrible non-conference schedules, beating those terrible non-conference teams by 100 points, and then boosting their analytics. I hear you talking about analytics right now. Well, the net rankings, how the NCAA tournament is selected, is all based on analytics. So what they do is wins are capped at 20 points, but the analytics to how these teams are winning by 100 still remain true. So if you end up winning by 110 points, those analytics for your offense are going to look great, and the analytics for your defense are going to look great. Therefore, Fluctuating the numbers to a point to where you have to rank these teams high. So I say all that to say this: Iowa State's first four games of the season—I I can't remember exactly who they played. I, you have access to that. I'm in the Cleveland airport right now, but th- their first four games were against teams in the 300s, and they were winning by 70 points, almost 70 points. So while they played nobody in the non-conference, they're winning these games by 70 points, and as a result. They end up with a net ranking of 5 going into conference play in the Big 12. And at that point, all you really have to do is go 500 in league and you're in the NCAA tournament. They found it out quicker than everybody else. Now other people are starting to catch on. But the problem is we're in January, coming up in February, where people have figured it out.
0: I mean, to me, and a couple questions off of that. First things first, Iowa State's the good example because they blow these teams out. To me, I always thought that Ken Palm was sort of sacred ground. When somebody said, we're going to scrap the RPI, we're going to add something like Ken Palm into the mix, I said, great, because I'm looking at the way teams are seeded in the NCAA tournament, I'm going, that's because the RPI doesn't know how you play. And Ken Palm knows how you play. T.O., if if they are gaming the Ken Palm part of this, the possession-by-possession data on this that goes season long, then we don't have any good way to measure a team, do we?
1: Yeah, the problem is then you need people who actually know how to watch the games and see which teams belong in the tournament and which teams don't. Right. Or what you do is is you cap the number of teams that can come out from a single conference. Look, the Big 12 is a great league. I don't think they deserve all the NCAA tournament bids. Like They, they shouldn't be having nine and ten teams out because five of them are going to lose in the first round. It's going to be nonsense. So whereas the ACC, which is now predicted to have three teams in the mix, should only have three teams. That's insanity to me. I know what I'm looking at. That league is not that bad. Now, I will say this, by and large, Quark, and I'm going to say this nicely, there's not as much juice with ACC venues as there is in the Big 12. So right. when ESPN sends commentators out to the Big 12, those, those buildings are packed. If you've ever been to Iowa State and the Hilton Coliseum, that place is anarchy, even when they're playing Wisconsin-Green Bay. So the juice is different When it comes to those games, so naturally some of these people are going to be like, "Oh man, I want to do these games more. I want to see these people more." There's more juice in that those leagues right now. That doesn't mean there's more talent there in those leagues. That doesn't mean there's better coaching in that those leagues. It just means it's got more momentum at the moment, and I think it reflects a little bit in the opinions of some of these analysts.
0: You know what? I would agree with that. And look, you're right about the Big Twelve. And I'm going to ask you a follow-up question about the ACC. But looking at the Big Twelve. I mean, I, I think Iowa State's overrated, but I'd still have them in the tournament. Like, if I'm looking at teams that yeah. are overrated and I'm not sure tournament teams in the Big 12, I would, I would tell you, like, Cincinnati and Texas. I don't love both those teams, for instance. Like, I'm not – I hadn't plotted they out a 68. They should in the NIT. Right. So they look like NIT teams to me. And that brings me to the ACC, which I think it's true that these, some of these teams are better. But how much better, T.O., like a Virginia Tech, a Wake Forest, a Miami – are these tournament teams, or are we griping because these teams should be higher rated in the NIT? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, here, here's my thing. I had this conversation with somebody the other day. It's, you know, I'm a huge Mountain West guy. I love the Mountain West. The energy around those buildings are insane. They love hoop. They're in some of the smaller towns on the West Coast where there's no pro teams. So those environments are packed. They're excited. Now, what I will say the top six teams. And the fourth-place team to the tenth-place team in the ACC, if they played a Mountain West ACC Challenge with just those rankings, I think it goes three and three. If you go top six teams in the ACC against top six teams in the Mountain West, I think the ACC is probably four and two, five and one. Like, that's where – and I I don't – I have no hesitation saying that. However, they're also a league that's kind of game the system a little bit because there was not a single team in the Mountain West that was – sub-500 going into league play. Not one. It was the only league in the country. So you have to take care of business in the non-conference, and then there turns into no real bad losses whenever you get into conference. Now, the ACC, you have Louisville, you have Notre Dame, you have Georgia Tech. You can't lose those games. And they're still good teams, but they've scheduled poorly, and they don't understand what they're doing. And quite frankly, Louisville should have fired Kenny Payne last year. Like, those things – uh, hurts your league by and large and as soon as the ACC picks up they, that up the better the better off they're going to be
0: visiting with Terrence Oglesby here on the program uh you said you're in the Cleveland airport where are we calling games this weekend what, what's your schedule look okay
1: like? so so a good friend of mine had a family member pass away John Fanta had a family member oh, pass yeah. away so I'm up in Cleveland saying hello and then um and giving my respects and then I'm actually Heading back down to Charlotte and then up to Richmond. I have Richmond at VCU. And if you don't know anything about that rivalry, they're 6.3 <laughs> miles apart. And the school and the schools don't necessarily love each other. So it's going to be a fun environment. Uh, 4 o'clock tomorrow on ESPNU. Uh,
0: very good. Uh, I'll be tuned in. Well, I'll be tuned in the second half. I'm getting on a plane at 4 myself. But uh, second half, I'll have you tuned in. Um, and, uh, by the way, send our best wishes to, to John. That was awful to, uh, to hear about his dad this week. So, uh, certainly send our best wishes to him. Um, I, uh, I, I'm looking at North Carolina Duke on Saturday night.
2: And, I, honest to God, I, I felt
0: great about this game a week ago. And then Duke avoids the human nature come down after the Clemson game on the road against Virginia Tech. North Carolina doesn't on the road against Georgia Tech, and now I'm wondering if North Carolina and Duke are more similar than I thought. Because I really thought North Carolina was a cut above everybody in the ACC. Was I right a week ago, T.O., or am I right now to be a little nervous about this game? No,
1: I, it's nervous as far as what? Uh, oh, you know, just just that I are you that.
0: Again? Well, I'm going I'm gonna take North Carolina, but I, I'm leaning toward taking the points here now.
1: I I don't even know what the spread is. I like North Carolina to win the game just because they're at home. But, you know, here's the thing with uh, Duke and North Carolina. There's no real natural rim protector for either squad. Like Armando Baycott, he's a big, strong, physical guy. He's able to beat people up. He's not this above-the-rim shot-blocking presence. Uh, Same goes for Duke. They have no rim protection. That's been their biggest problem this season defensively is the fact that they don't have – They don't have anybody, whenever Duke tries to get out in pressure, once you get past that first line of defense, there's nothing back there. Kyle is a great offensive player. He's not Derek Lively. There's nothing back there. So it's one of those things where they are very similar in style. They love to shoot jump jump shots. I think this game is going to be one inside the paint, and I think it's going to go North Carolina's way at home, especially with Baycott being a little bit more assertive than what he's been over the past couple of months.
0: Uh, a couple other games to talk about in the league. Uh, of course, Virginia Clemson is in there. And uh, this – I mean, Virginia feels like a team that I, I would have told you a little bit like Florida State but not as bad. At, uh, New Year's Day, I would have been like, not a chance. This team is not even close to a tournament team, not even not remotely close to it. And I, they look a little better. St- they still have played a very weak schedule in the ACC. How good is Virginia and where could they give Clemson problems?
1: I honestly think they have two of the best defenders in the ACC between Ryan Dunn and Reese Beekman. But we know that it's been a matter of them being able to score enough points. And when they've been away from home, teams have still been able to find and have their way against them. But here's the thing: they're at home; they're always going to be tough. Uh, Clemson played playing. I mean, you kind of get a tune-up game whenever you play against Louisville. Everybody feels a little bit better. You got to shoot the ball well against Virginia. I think this Clemson team can, but it it is hard to play up at John Paul like that is a difficult scenario uh the fans are going to be crazy and they're going to slow it down to a crawl so it's really hard to kind of stack your offensive wins and what I mean by that is you know six points eight points in a row it's hard to do that at Virginia and Clemson this year has very much been a team that relies on runs uh, because they do have that offensive firepower
0: all right I didn't realize you're saying it the game is actually at Clemson tomorrow so, uh, and we got a couple of people pointing that out. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. That's all right. So, does that change your does that change your perspective on it a little bit? Because we have seen Virginia str- – well, I would say this. We've seen Virginia struggle to score. Clemson's shooting numbers at home have been abysmal recently. I think P.J.'s one for 18 from three his last four home games. Uh,
1: you know what? I, I, I thought I was going to pick Clemson to win either way, home or away. Okay. I do think Clemson gets the win at home. Because uh, one thing that you can get whenever you play Virginia – is you're going to be able to get open looks from three, and you're going to be able to get them consistently. Now, they're going to contest late, but I just feel like there's enough shooting on this Clemson team to where they're going to be able to get one at home. Virginia's always kind of been a thorn in Brownell's side, but at the same time, there's just too much talent on this Clemson team to at least be able to break you down and get into the lane. They just have to embrace the physicality, know that they're going to get fouled a bunch coming in, and if you're strong enough and you play through those things, I think you're going to be okay.
0: All right, uh, I want to ask you about a couple other teams. Kentucky loses at home to Florida this week. I don't know what that's going on there. They host Tennessee, and i I don't think it's must win by any stretch. But there appears to be a bit of a perception issue with Kentucky, even though I like watching them play. And by the way, uh, Rick Barnes has got him uh, a much better offensive team than he's had. What are your thoughts on this game in Rupp on Saturday night?
1: I think this is a lunch pail game for the young freshmen at Kentucky. It it scares me uh, for the people uh, in Lexington because you have a bunch of young guys that aren't physically mature and developed, and you're going up against grown men with Tennessee. Uh, I think Tennessee goes up there and wins, and the reason being is they're just so big and they're just so physical. Now, the analytics and everything, we're going back to analytics, say that Kentucky's defense hasn't been very good. Those are a little bit skewed this year because they got two 7-footers later in the season. So, it's been significantly better since Onyesu, and Ibisic has come back. That all being said, I mean, you have to you have to really play tough, and I just don't know that they're heavy enough physically to be able to uh, compete with Tennessee. Plus, they have Dal- Tennessee has Dalton Connect, who's basically as good a closer as there is in college basketball.
0: You know, I, I want to ask you about him because I- I've seen him play several times this year. He looked a little tired. Maybe South Carolina was doing something to him. He looked a little tired the other night. I mean, you know, as somebody who's hunting shots all the time, there's a point in a year where you get a little leg weary and you got to push through. Could it be possible that his struggles could be related to fatigue a little bit right now? And I'm not saying it's long struggles. He just had a hard time getting good shots. I think he still made 11 shots the other night. And scored 31 points.
1: We're talking. We're talking about connect. Yes. Yeah. So so look, he's a guy. Everywhere he goes, you have to be pushing. You have to be pushing and and be really physical with him, especially when he doesn't have the ball. Everything has to be difficult. But, you know, Rick Barnes has gone to the Kevin Durant offense. So what does that mean? Get the ball and get them out of the way. He has been special. He's done it all himself. And this is – keep in mind, this is the same Tennessee team that couldn't score last year. Connect has basically yeah. raised their anal- analytics by himself, which is, quite frankly, amazing. All
0: right, final one, and I'll let you run. I know you got travel uh travels today. Uh, Every time I watch Houston play, two things stand out. One is, I can't believe they're all that big. I don't know what they're doing. They're just all massive. And the second one is, that they basically, they just play like a middle finger. Like, they're just running around. It's a little bit like if Arkansas, back in the day, with the 40 minutes of hell, played half-court defense and was basically just running the entire time, sprinting the entire time. What makes Houston so good, or are they the best team in the country in your mind?
1: I think they're, they're close. I don't know that they're the best team in the country. Quite frankly, I'm not sure I know any any, who is right now. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how it's been this season with college basketball. There's so many good teams. I'm not sure there's really a great team, but I think Houston's the closest thing to it. Uh, The big thing with Houston is one, it's Kelvin Sampson. That's the easy answer. Two is they're getting a certain type of kid. Like they're six, four, six, five, but he gets it with broad shoulders and they're in a weight room for a long time. And they're a pretty selfless bunch. Now, He was able to pick uh, Jamal up and L.J. Cryer, who transfers in conference from Baylor to come over to provide some offensive scoring punch. But there's a reason that Houston's had so much success over the last few NCAA tournaments, because they're big, they're physical, they foul on every possession, and you basically just bounce off of them. That's why they're so good, and I think they're going to continue to be good. Don't be surprised you see Houston in the Final Four come Phoenix.
0: T.O., appreciate it, buddy. In the middle of travel, you found time for us. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter. And then check him out, Richmond VCU this weekend. I'm excited for that one, and uh, I'll definitely be tuning in Saturday. Thanks, buddy. Safe travels, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, Paul. All right, that is Terrence Oglesby. Did you hear a loud, the loud Cleveland Airport? I oh, like yes. the Cleveland Airport, but... Uh... I was, in, I was in here trying to control that Bluetooth. It was tough. <laughs> Man. 654-ROAR uh, is the number if you'd like to join us. Good stuff there. We'll break some more of that down. Talk a little Clemson, Virginia when we return after this.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Greg Ellie of the Prosperity Group. I'd like to invite you to tune into our radio show, The Prosperity Hour, on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. You'll learn about Social Security, how to maximize it, how to make an asset out of it, how to protect your retirement income and create a pension-like income that you can't outlive. For both you and your spouse. I'll show you tax-free strategies that protect you against nursing homes and illnesses. Just give me a call at 864-989-0176 or go to
2: mymoneyissafe.com. When you're looking for the beautiful gift she deserves, do what I do. Shop at Turner's Jewelers. They have an amazing selection of silver, gold, precious gems, and diamonds. And Turner's can create a custom piece she'll absolutely treasure. Whatever the occasion, trust a tradition of family excellence for more than 60 years. Shop now at turnersjewelers.com or visit them today in the Applewood Shopping Center next to Belk and Seneca. Southern hospitality meets diamond know-how at Turner's
0: Jewelers. I'm Will Davis with the Davis Law Group. It's important to me to always remember why we do what we do as litigation attorneys, and that's to help people. But more specifically, is to help people by creating a path forward after a catastrophic event. When someone walks into our office, they've likely experienced the worst day in their life. They've lost a loved one, they're catastrophically injured, or their family's falling apart. The second you walk into our office, you have personal involvement with an attorney. Our personal involvement continues until the case is concluded. Contact us today at davis.law. Let us see how we can help. No one wants it to happen to
1: them, but unfortunately, chances are good that at some point it'll happen to you. Roof troubles. It's one of the most important parts of your biggest investment. So when you need repairs or a new installation, you need someone who you can trust to get the job done right. You need Joe Robertson and Son Roofing.
0: As a family owned and operated roofing company for nearly six decades, Joe Robertson and Son have built a reputation for quality craftsmanship. It's why thousands of upstate home and business owners have chosen them for their roofing needs. Beyond providing quality work they're proud to stand by, Joe Robertson and Son Roofing also takes a client first approach to their job. That means quality roofing, fair pricing, and complete customer satisfaction. Put it all together, and it's easy to see why they're the upstate's premier roofing provider.
1: You can't cut corners when it comes to roof repairs and installations, so go with the trusted name in the upstate. Go with Joe Robertson and Son Roofing. Get started today by visiting them online at robertsonroofing.net.
0: What does it feel like to file with Taxlayer and get your guaranteed maximum refund? It feels like the last level of a video game. Facing off against the final boss who stands between you and your refund.
1: All oh, your refunders belong to me.
0: Using the power of Taxlayer like a secret power-up he doesn't see coming. Only
1: the most
2: tax-confident can defeat me.
0: Throwing your laptop at his video game face and watching him crumble into a
1: giant pile of shiny coin tax refunds.
2: <laughs> Oh, not fair. You use Taxlayer.
0: Start for free and get your guaranteed maximum refund. Taxlayer. File fearlessly.
1: Broadcasting live from the Upcountry Fiber Studios, this is 105.5 and 97.5 The Roar. Upcountry Fiber is a stronger connection.
0: Your flagship station for Clemson men's basketball, 105.5 and 97.5. We are The Roar. Where every day is game day. We continue on here in hour three out of bounds. William Pluckebusch and Mike Vaughn with you. We're talking a little Clemson, Virginia in this segment. We also need to talk to about dinner. Uh, what, specifically, what are you trying to do for dinner? And the beautiful thing is that there are options. There are lots of options. But some of those options are... And maybe they're what you did yesterday, or they're a little subpar. Or, you know, maybe they, they, they don't check a box. Willie Taco checks the boxes. If you're looking for good appetizers, they check the box. If you're looking for a good atmosphere, for happy hour, they check the box. If you're looking for a place to take the kids, check the box. If you're looking for good tacos, they check the box. If you don't love tacos, but you... Maybe would eat a taco with some other stuff in it. Like, I don't know, a cheeseburger, like an Angus cheeseburger. They have an Angus cheeseburger taco. They will put stuff in taco shells that you're not supposed to put in taco shells. I'm using that in air quotes. It's the Funky Fusion Revolution. They are doing it right at Willie Taco. Five upstate locations. We love the one in Easley. Couple in Greenville, uh, Simpsonville, like Spartanburg. They've got it all at Willy Taco. All right, uh, let's talk a little Clemson, Virginia. This is uh, this is coming up tomorrow, and again, it's uh, it's a it's a big game. Um, it's a big game, big day. Uh, Mike, you talked about the uh, the men's soccer national championship parade. Eleven thirty is when that starts in downtown Clemson.
2: That's right, over at Sykes Hall, and heading
0: down to Riggs
2: Historic Riggs Field.
0: Um, always good when you can celebrate uh, national championships. That's right. Um. And so it, it's going to be a day. De- like, the, the weather's supposed to be very good tomorrow, as I understand. Let me, let me double-check
2: that. 58's the high, I
0: think. That's fine. I love That's it. That's totally fine. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take that. If, if the high gets to a 6, if it gets to a 6, perfect day. I'm yep. down with that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's supposed to be very nice, and you can make a day of it. Uh, stay downtown on time for lunch, do a little shopping, a little, uh, little pre-gaming, a little tailgating, and uh, head into Little John for the Virginia game. Virginia is an interesting team, um, because since Christmas they have won a bunch of games. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that I, I'm not super convicted about because I like I watched Virginia before Christmas and it was it was it was ugly. I mean it was even a couple games they won. I'm like, Eesh. not good. Um, they got blasted at Memphis. By the way, we need to talk about Memphis. Memphis is about to ruin lives. Have you seen what Memphis is doing recently? I have not. Have you seen this? Not
2: since Clemson played them.
0: Yeah, okay. Since January 14th, Memphis has played four games. They've lost them all. Here are their opponents. They lost at home to South Florida. I think they led by a million in that game. They led by 20 in the second half and lost. They lost by two at Tulane. Uh, in a game, they led by as many as seven with nine minutes left. Choked down the stretch. They lost by nine at UAB. They led by as many as six in the first half there. Um, But, I mean, they gave up 97 points to UAB. And then they just lost at home to Rice. 74-71. They led by three with less than two minutes left and uh, ended up coughing that one up. Memphis has lost four consecutive games, and guess what? They are now in danger of really dramatically underperforming what they should be in terms of net, in terms of RPI. If you look at, again, Clemson, their first loss of the year was at Memphis, and we said, don't worry about that. This will be a quad one game, and it should. Except for now, it's a quad two game. Because they fell. This is not an exaggeration. They have fallen in three weeks from 39 to 77 in the net ratings. Ouch. If you're at 39 in the net ratings after Christmas, you're going to stay there unless you just start hemorrhaging results, hemorrhaging losses, and that's what Memphis has done. So I just want to throw that out there as we're as we're talking about Virginia, that... Uh, Memphis is really screwing everybody over by not handling any business whatsoever against anybody. I mean, that's that's not an exaggeration. The net ratings of the teams uh that Memphis has lost to 112, 115, 132, and 223. You've got uh let's see. You've got two quad twos, a quad three, and a quad four in there. Tough. Real tough for uh, for the Memphis Tigers. Anyway, so Virginia they lose that game. They beat here are the teams they beaten since that loss to Memphis, where you know they were they were nine and one, and they had they had won some decent games, like they beat Florida by three on a neutral floor, and they beat Texas A and M at home, and so they like they kind of had some notable results. But here here's who they beaten since that second loss to Memphis: Morgan State, Louisville, Virginia Tech. Uh, at home, by the way, at Georgia Tech, NC State, at Louisville, and Notre Dame. They have played the easiest ACC schedule by a mile. They have no quality wins in conference play. That's why there's still skepticism about Virginia.
2: There's just some couple of
0: concerning points in there, though. What, uh, What are those? Two of those teams they beat also beat Clemson. That's correct. So, they are capable of beating... Uh, they're capable of beating Clemson, for sure. I mean, I I'll say that they're they're capable of beating Clemson. But if you look at who they've beaten and where they've beaten them, it would be the I mean, it would be the best win on their schedule by far if they were to beat Clemson, Florida team that's kind of borderline top fifty. It's been borderline. I don't know what their net is right now after winning at Kentucky, but I mean, just sort of right in that around fifty, a little bit better than fifty. Uh, on a neutral floor. You beat Texas A&M at home, that's a quad two. Like I say, I mean, the Virginia's been much better at home. Much better at home, especially offensively, uh, than they have been on the road. Their defense is going to travel to a certain extent, though. Like, they're not going to leave their defense at JPJ. Um, they held Louisville to 52. They held Georgia Tech to 66. And really... The second half is where they, they, they just ground Georgia Tech into submission a little bit. End of the, I would say end of the first half and then maybe the first eight or nine minutes of the second half in particular where Georgia Tech was just not they were just not scoring at all whatsoever. And they end up winning at Georgia Tech by, uh, by nine. And they are a good three-point shooting team, I will say. They do a good job shooting threes. They also don't take a bunch. They're 37% from three, but they are among the lowest in terms of the number of threes that they take in the ACC.
2: Well, that helps the Tigers.
0: It helps. Um, They are incredibly deliberate on both ends of the floor. I know that comes as a shocker to, uh, to no one. Here are some things they do well, okay? They do not turn the ball over. They do not. If they do, it's probably a ball-handling turnover or maybe a back-to-the-basket, like a takeaway that way. But they just, they, they really don't turn the ball over at all. They are number one in the country in non-steal turnovers. Fun fact. Turnovers that they just get like travels or offensive fouls or throwing the ball out of bounds. They just don't, they, they don't do that. They're, they are crisp in their movements and their, and their passing. They also they don't get any offensive rebounds. They're one and done, so they, it's a make-or-miss game. And then they get back and they make you uh, make or miss. And they've given up a few more threes because they don't have as much length on the perimeter. The other thing that they don't do, they don't get to the line a bunch by design because they are 65% on free throws. They are not a good foul-shooting team at all. Now, what T.O. said is true. Reese Beekman is an elite defender. He also leads the country in assist rate very good facilitator like i say virginia moves the ball well when they score it's off of passes they do not have particularly great creators they don't have creative guys and they they, they really the offense is not designed to be particularly creative uh they want to get guys off a lot of flare screens a lot of curls a lot of like off ball action a lot of dummy action in virginia's Offense just designed to kind of get you tired so they can run into something that they want to do with about 12 on the shot clock. They start doing the actual stuff. But Beekman's a very good defender too. And he doesn't foul. And like Isaac McNeely doesn't foul. And Ryan Dunn doesn't foul. And Andrew Rody doesn't foul. They just, they guard you without fouling. And my... My hunch is that this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game because of the way that Clemson has not shot the ball well in their building. If this were a month ago, really before the North Carolina game, I would have said that Clemson's going to be able to make this a track meet. I'm not sure that Clemson is going to be able to make this a track meet anymore. This is uh, th- these are the numbers in the in the ACC home games for Clemson. Against North Carolina, they were 1 for 18. Against Boston College, they were 7 of 20. That's 8 of 38. Against Georgia Tech, they were 3 of 21. That's 11 for 59. And then we'll take the Louisville game. They were 5 of 21. That is 16 for 80. That's 20% from 3 in ACC home games for Clemson. If you shoot that I'm I'm here to tell you Virginia is not capable of beating you. They are not. If you play an average game, if you play your average game Clemson, Virginia is not capable of beating you. It's just it's just not going to happen. But if you're shooting 20% from 3, if you're making this about shots from the elbow and from the from the paint, that's where they've got bodies and hands and arms, and they can bother you. Virginia's always been a team that if you beat them, you have to make threes. Oh, like, that's, that's Tony Bennett's deal. They run that pack line. They're trying to run you off the three-point line, certainly, but they, the, the, the way the pack line, if you're, if you're running like the pure version of it, the way the pack line gets broken down is that they have to overhelp in. So it constricts in, and then it doesn't contract in time. You've got to penetrate and a kick, or you've got to pass in and then a pass back out. Clemson has to shoot the ball at home. I don't think I've ever said that about any team. I don't think I've ever looked at a team and seen stat lines like that and go, you know what your problem is? You don't make any shots in your building. I mean, is it is it that bizarre? Especially, I mean, look look at some of the earlier games. It's hard to watch, too. For Clemson for three, look at some of the earlier games. Winthrop, 41%. Davidson, uh, Davidson wasn't home. Wait a minute, let's go to home games. Uh, let's see, Alcorn State, 38%. Uh, South Carolina, 45, or 44% from three. Queens, 53%. Radford, 38%. These are all games early where they're playing home games. They shot the ball fine. They shot the ball very well. They shot the ball in such a way at home that you're going, if you're shooting 38% or better at home from three, you're going to win. Doesn't matter how you guard. If you guard reasonably well, you're going to win those games because you've got enough guys that can take them and you've got enough guys that can make them. This team is not making them. If I've got one concern going into this game, it's that Virginia does not give you twos. Now, um, I say that. If you look at some of the numbers for this year, there is some thought that Virginia is maybe a little bit better or excuse me, that that, uh, Virginia is maybe a little bit better uh, guarding the the, uh, three than they've been in the past and not quite as good guarding the two. But the percentages still would indicate that they're more likely to make you miss twos than threes. Not like everybody is more likely to make you miss, uh, like the percentages won't say that, but like relative to average relative to what you would expect a team to do, you're, you're more likely to have more trouble against Virginia from two than you are from three.
2: Quag, let's say the shooting woes continue in our own building. Um, what do you make of, on the, on the boards, Ian Shefflin going up against either Virginia's Dunn or minor? Those two guys have been really bringing home the rebounds for the Cavaliers. How, how do you see him facing up with those two guys? The
0: thing that's funny about Virginia is that they really team rebound like because of the pack line they're able to it's a little bit different than a zone where in a zone sometimes you can just not have somebody in your area and you miss a box out because of the way the pack line is there's somebody everywhere to box out so i would say it's an interesting matchup for uh for Shefflin and Ryan Dunn i'm also interested to see if he spends a little bit of time on Wiggins because he is such a good defender if they if they at least start him like that virginia will switch Quite a bit. I'm interested to see if they if they switch all the way. They generally don't switch the five. Um, not a lot. They'd rather sort of use some use some ball screen coverage that that way um, to kind of keep their five out of the ringer. Um, I think it's going to be a battle because Dunn is a very good defender. And. To be honest, if uh, there's data that suggests, and I actually I was talking to my wife about this and she brought this up, like if Ian Shefflin is your best offensive player, you're probably, I mean, you're going to have a hard time winning. And it's no disrespect to him, but it's just that there are other guys that that means they're not being your best player and they have a much higher ceiling on that end of the floor. You probably would rather have Ian around 10 points and around 10 rebounds and PJ or Chase or uh, Joseph Gerrard or Wiggins or somebody like that really like setting your pace offensively. And if, if Dunn is required to stop Shefflin in this game, this is my argument now, then that actually is a good thing for Clemson because it puts a lesser defender on those wings. Even when you're going small, you put a guy like Chase out there. If Dunn is having to handle Shefflin because some of the more undersized guys can't, then ultimately that's a good thing for you. I don't think Dunn is going to be... I, I think Shefflin's going to be guarding Dunn. I think Shefflin will be guarding Dunn on that end of the floor. But in terms of Virginia's defense, I, I, I think they would rather have Dunn on somebody else as more capable, you would think, of of beating you. Um, We'll talk more about this on the other side because I think it's a good question. At least to some questions about the matchup. We'll get to some more games that are coming up this weekend in college basketball as well. Stay with us. final segment is next. 654-ROAR, you want to join us?
1: call the plumber whose name is his number one tom plumber One Tom Plumber. anyone
0: know a good plumber it's an emergency one tom plumber will be there in an hour or they'll discount your bill in one hour yeah just dial the number one then tom plumber that's their name that's their number call the plumber whose name
2: is his number
1: There are many people out there, including The Roar, that support Clemson Athletics and the many charitable events they do. Fort Hill Clemson Club is raising money for needs-based scholarships. Some of you can come to the event and some of you can't. Stay tuned to TigerNet, stay tuned to The Roar, and watch your social media, and you'll have an opportunity to participate on an online auction with great prizes to bid on, as well as a Give Now button. Thank you for your support.
0: Craft Stove Store and Patio is here to help your home stay warm and cozy until spring, with over 20 burning displays of vented and vent-free gas logs. Vent-free logs will heat for just pennies an hour, and even keep you warm and cozy in the event of a power failure. Craft Stove Store and Patio even features the radiant heating vented gas logs that have a real fire look and radiant heat. Visit Craft Stove Store and Patio, located on 3002 Wade Hampton Boulevard, Taylor's. Craft Stove Store and
2: Patio.
0: Man, you won't believe the phone call I just got. This guy told me that the Roar is the best sports talk station in the upstate. We are the Roar, where every day is game day.
2: Sing my Sarah, bro.
0: All right. Final segment of the program. Glad to have you with us. Uh, this is the last segment of the show. Last segment of the week. It's Friday. I don't know why that did that just hit me. It just hit me. Mike, uh, this has been a good show. We bounce around a lot of stuff. We've kind of like cleaned up some stuff from the week, you know, some stuff that's been simmering and stuff that we uh, stuff that we certainly needed to cover
2: a little bit different show than what you had on Monday. Yeah,
0: oh yeah. A <laughs> Little bit different. Little a uh, little less topical than uh than Monday's show. Um, Texture says this from the eight six four. It says, Quag, is there a chance we shoot less on our home floor in practice because of gymnastics? Is it uh is it close? Now, I will say this gymnastics is throwing a wrench into everybody's uh schedule, and that gymnastics is using the floor some and it requires more time for setup. But here's what I would suggest to you. They still are spending more time on their floor than they are on opponents' floors. And Clemson is, I mean, there's no doubt. Clemson is shooting better. Uh, They are shooting better on the road than they are at home right now. Clemson still is 35% from three. Now, they were were like a top 23-point team. They were at the 40% mark a month ago. Truly, they were at the 40% mark a month ago. And now they are 111th in the, in the country. If you look at conference-only stats, it's a brutal, brutal reality. Clemson is a sub-30% three-point shooting team in conference play. Quite frankly, with who Clemson has, they're not going to win if they don't make a certain percentage of their threes. Now, some games you don't have to take as many. But they are not built to just simply score inside. There's too many good shooters on the floor. You can't just put a bunch of good shooters on the floor and say go to the basket. Now the good news is Chase Hunter's been, gotten going a little bit. He was very efficient the other night till he started throwing twenty foot behind the back bounce passes to nobody. <laughs> I mean, till then he was he was he had a very good game. I think till about the ten minute mark. Um, and you know what? I thought PJ Hall did a lot of good stuff the other night. He just is not shooting threes well.
2: What about Gerard? What's the spark to get him back on track as far as shooting the rock?
0: You know, it's funny, um, I I thought Gerard looked good on the floor. Like, when I watched him move, I thought he looked good the other night. Um, He's still shooting 41% from three, and the number's still 39% in conference games. I mean, so Gerard is shooting it very well. He's not making a lot of two-point shots, and earlier in the season, he was making a lot of mid-range pull-ups, whatever, and he wasn't shooting a ton, but he was making the ones he was shooting. Then he was hitting a really good percentage of his threes. In the last five games, he's made multiple threes. So a lot of the issues in that North Carolina-Virginia Tech range, like he's still not shooting a high percentage because his two-point percentage is down. But the last five games, five for 11, two for five, two for six, two for five, two for seven, I would say three of those five are acceptable. Even two for six, I think, is fine. That's one maker. I mean, And one, the other night, I remember, was all the way down and rimmed out. Two for seven and three for seven are wildly different. So it's I don't think Gerard is struggling right now as much. What what we're seeing is that there's a lot more attention being uh, being paid to him. So it's more difficult for him to get free, and some of that leads to more opportunities for Chase Hunter, for Chauncey Wiggins, for Josh Beadle, for RJ Godfrey, other guys that are on the floor, or sometimes PJ Hall, and that's where. P.J., need, P, yes, to the texters, yes, on the Adams-Curving text line, P.J. needs to get his butt on the block. Yes, 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 he needs to get his butt on the block. But he needs to sometimes go and hit a three. He's got to sometimes go hit a three. I, I said this the other day. In his last four home games, P.J. Hall's one for 18 from three. You can't do that. You, you can't do that and win the game. And I think we got
2: excited about that one because it was early in the ball game. Was that against Duke? Uh um, which one was he hit he hit the one early in the ball game and we all sighed this. It was Georgia Tech. Okay, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. We had this sigh of relief that he hits one early and um a little bit downhill since then on the threes.
0: Well, and I, I will also say this, you know, ever since the Virginia Tech game where it kind of went sideways for him, where he took a bunch of threes and wasn't really a presence and Kind of let Lynn Kidd push him around a little bit. I mean, let's be honest. It it felt like he should have been you know, Baycott is one thing and O'Mir is one thing, but he should have I mean, he should have been able to push Lynn Kidd around a little bit and and PJ just sort of he drifted away from the basket a bit in that Virginia tech game and he took eight threes and five twos. Since that now you tell me without any context, you tell me if this seems like a, a a good sort of twos versus threes balance, okay? Against Boston College, 16 twos, two threes. Against Georgia Tech, 18 twos, five threes. Against Florida State, 10 twos, three threes. Against Duke, 10 twos, three threes. Against Louisville, 14 twos, six threes.
2: Yeah, it all sounded good until you got to Louisville and you miss, you miss all six uh, three pointers.
0: Yeah, I mean, you need to make them all. My, my point is, well, not, I mean, you don't need to make them all. Yes, you need to make them all. Everybody needs to make every shot. Not realistic. But, yeah, you need to make a couple of those. You need to make two threes. But I felt like, on the again, watching on the floor against Louisville, I felt P.J. was in good positions. That's true. Um, it wasn't
2: like they were all trailing plays where he was coming down at the end and, and getting the pass. He was getting open. He had some good shots. He just, he just wasn't feeling it that night. And some of it is
0: that you do have his – because he's the five – You put them in a pick-and-pop ball screen, and it puts that center in conflict. Um, This is funny. I'm not going to do a nerd alert, but I I watched a a two-and-a-half-minute video from somebody talking about expected points on ball screens. Do you know the one guy, whether it's the dribbler or the roll man or the the screener or a third party on the floor, the one guy that scores over a point per possession on pick-and-roll, like ball screen, is the is the screener and a lot of it is because bigs that can pick and pop it puts that defender that fifth defender in conflict you put them back on their heels you get them going back toward the basket then you flip that pass back it's a it's a little nba 2k trick pick and pop is great in nba 2k man it is great because defenders don't know what to do you've got to have the big because the the big is going to be cutting off the driver So unless you're switching and putting a big on a guard, which is going to be bad when they invert that sucker, they go in the post, and then you got a big on a guard, mouse in the house, P.J. Hall can do that. He needs to make a couple of those.
2: I think the last time I played NBA 2K
0: was the year 2K. (laughs) I'm just telling you, it's great. To me, P.J. needs to make a couple threes in this game, but ultimately he is going to get opportunities. I think this is more of a mid-range game for P.J. Hall. Get the ball, what the the women's basketball staff calls a money box. Get on the money box, baby. Get it on either elbow. Get it at the foul line. Make those jumpers, those little turnarounds. I think Chauncey Wiggins will be able to do that. And the reason I say that is because, you know, a lot of the teams in the league are, they at least have a presence that with length can bother you. Uh, Duke really did not have a presence that could bother P.J., so they just fouled the crap out of him. They just fouled the daylights out of PJ, and he only took seven free throws. Uh Virginia doesn't foul. And they also don't have a bunch of sides. Like, look at Virginia's players, okay? There's not an O'Mir that can that can beat PJ with girth, okay? Just wait. Uh there's not somebody like Baycott that's got a little bit of both, the the sturdiness and the length. Uh and there's there's not somebody like Oh, who am I thinking of that really bothered him with size? You know what? I can't even think. The the point is, you look at the players that they're going to put inside. They've got a 6'11 Blake Buchanan, but Buchanan's only playing like, I don't know, 15 or so minutes a game, 12 minutes a game. He's not playing a ton. Jordan Miner and Ryan Dunn are playing the five. This is a small Virginia team. The guys with some reach that can elevate over guys, P.J. Hall and Chauncey Wiggins, they need to score from inside the arc. And again, if you're telling me that P.J. is taking, right now, what is the number? In the last five games, he's taken 9-12-17. He's taken nineteen, three. Now, he's only made three, but he's taken 19 threes. And he's taken 68 twos. I'll take that spread against Virginia. If he takes 14 twos against Virginia, it's hard to score on them inside, but not impossible, especially when you can elevate over guys. I, I also think again Virginia's a good rebounding team, but but Clemson should out-rebound Virginia. They don't crash the offensive glass. They don't make a lot of shots. It should be pretty much one and done for for Clemson against Virginia, especially when Virginia goes on a road I can't stress this enough. They have not been a good shooting team. The times when they've scored on the road have been like bad shots by you where they can sort of get out and transition and run a little bit, but when they have to settle into the half court away from their building, this team is not really capable of scoring more than about 55 points.
2: Well, I would expect to see Clemson improve on the rebounds tonight too after that first half against Louisville where the Cardinals just, man, they were all over the boards, especially the offensive boards. So hopefully the Tigers have learned something from that night.
0: Yeah, Texter, this is Doug, and Clemson says, I'm sorry, but P.J. Hall has to make three-point baskets against good teams, or we're going to struggle. When they knock down three or four threes a game, we're at our best. I agree, again, for the reasons I just stated. You're going to have some ball screen stuff, and if you're going to have ball screen stuff, you need that big to be a pick-and-pop option. You need that big to be able to step out and make a three. Because you need to put that center in conflict. Now, P.J. also, again, as I said, I, I felt like the other night, the shots that he took where he was on the floor, I thought were very good. Very good. Um, And and quite frankly, I felt like he, his three-point shots were a little bit tired, but he didn't look tired everywhere else. It's almost like he was trying to guide the ball or something. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it's a little bit of nerves. He He knows his percentages recently. I'm interested to see if he can play a little more free, um, or if, if Clemson's got to give him the ball down on the block. Because like I said, you know, the fact that Virginia's undersized and doesn't foul should tell you all you need to know about their uh, about their post defense. It could be lacking when you can put somebody in there to score. Six five four roar is the number. A couple texts to read here. Texture says Clemson doesn't really run, so that should benefit Lamar. I wish they would run more though. Some of that I think is situational. Um, They actually, they run a fair amount. Like, they're they're winning fast break points most days. They got out a little bit in transition against Louisville. I I think people would be surprised at, like, to look at previous years and this year and see fast break opportunities, fast break points. And then Ken Palm has a stat, it's it's average possession length. Clemson has not been hoarding the ball. Like, Virginia is a hoarder, okay? Virginia hoards the ball. They just want to keep it. Clemson will shoot early. Uh, they'll, they'll try to score in a secondary break. They'll, I mean, they'll run offense, certainly. When things get tight or if things get a little bit helter-skelter, they'll run a little offense. I thought one of the interesting things that happened on, um, on when, Tuesday night with Louisville is that uh, it felt like they didn't run as many sets Now, I may be wrong about that. Brad Brownell might disagree with me on this, but it felt like they weren't running a ton of sets and that Brad Brownell was kind of letting players play out there on Tuesday night and sort of seeing if they could come up with some stuff. Put some of your older players out there and and let it ride. Didn't work because they got sloppy. I'm I'm talking late in the game. They got sloppy. They got a little bit complacent. So I wonder if he might be a little more heavy-handed in the half court. Um, he did start calling a few more plays, like, down the stretch. They started running a few more, like, very deliberate and particular actions to get, most frequently, to get PJ the ball. Um, There wasn't as much free-flowing offense out of Clemson down the stretch. I think you're going to see probably, like, some of the same stuff. Face of Virginia, you got to understand, face of Virginia is a little bit like facing a zone team. Like, think about that Syracuse zone There were certain places you're trying to get the ball. There are certain shots that you're trying to get that are generally available. And then you're kind of trying to make their zone adjust to you. And that's the case at Virginia. You're trying to get the ball to the elbow. It's kind of like a zone like that. You're trying to get to the elbow. You're trying to get to the short corner some when they allow it. Um, And you're trying to get penetrating kick opportunities. And really penetrating kick opportunities with with an extra passing option. So you really want to penetrate and kick to a side where there's only one defender that's in conflict. Because once you penetrate, I, this, is, this would be better with the visual, but once you penetrate, that defense collapses, and when, when you kick out, there's one guy flying. So if you can quickly move that ball to either from the corner to the wing or the wing to the corner, that's an open shot against Virginia. It's an open look. And again, in, this year they don't have quite as much length on the wing or down on the block... To be able to, you know, to be able to kind of, kind of bother things. I expect Clemson to win this game. I don't know what the spread is. Uh, I've been kind of monitoring that during the show. I don't know what the spread is. Um, I would imagine it's going to be four, maybe five points. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't tell you to lay points with Clemson right now, but that, that feels right to me. Four, five, six, somewhere around in there. A couple of score game. If they can win this by double figures, I think it would be. Um, I think. I think that would be really nice. That would be sort of icing on the cake stuff. This is another one. This is a good one. This is a quad two win if you get it in your building. It's a quad two win. You're sort of building. You know, you, you kind of rebuild some confidence a little bit. The way you played against Duke, then, or the, uh, the, the win against Florida State, the way you played against Duke, the win against Louisville, now you get another win. You're stacking these results as the schedule eases up a little bit. That's, uh, that's what Clemson needs to do there. Um, in our final 30 seconds... Uh, your thoughts on Duke North Carolina? Who you got?
2: I just think the Tar Heels are too strong on this one. Based on what we saw last Saturday night, um I, I just don't think Duke's gonna have all that they need, and I think Baycott down low, he's he's gonna he's gonna make it happen for the Heels.
0: I think so too. I'm again, I don't know what the spread is if it's like six, six and a half, boy, I'd be tempted to take that sucker. I'd be tempted to take those points. Just because weird stuff happens with road teams and his rivalry. When the teams are relatively similar, I still think North Carolina's better. But God, Duke, Duke did impress me on Monday. They did play better than I expected. That's it. Appreciate everybody this week. It's been great. God bless. We'll see you, Monty Walter, next. WCCP FM one hundred five point five, Clemson, Greenville, Anderson. AM A M fifteen sixty, Cowpens ninety seven point five, Spartanburg. We are the roar.